In this episode of Upward Calling, we talk about the dangers of some doctrines. Welcome to Upward Calling. We help Christians develop a better relationship with God by taking a deeper dive on a lesson from a recent Sunday service and help you apply it throughout your week with Dr. Kenny Embry and the speaker of that week. How you doing, Josh? Kenny, I'm doing great. It's uh, Monday evening, so uh, this is not uh, a Sunday afternoon. So both of I, both of us, have had a little more time to marinate over, uh, you know, events of Sunday. So we'll see how this goes with with more reflection. There you go. Well, I tell you what, I, I did enjoy this sermon. I, I think you you had some really good points here. You, in this one, you talked about the problem of seeking revelation. Specifically, you talked about the problem of the Holy of Holy Spirit leading in Bible prophecy. Number one, what do you mean by Holy Spirit leading, and and why is this a problem? So, really, to once I kind of define that, that I think we'll better see. Yeah, I think so what the problem is. Um, when I talked about Holy Spirit leading, and I talked about biblical prophecy. It's not to say that those things aren't there or that they don't exist. They, they certainly do. Sure. And the Bible is filled with prophecy, and one of our greatest um, apologetic tools uh, and evidence for the Christian faith is the fulfillment of prophecy. So, But biblical prophecy is an extremely important uh, area of study and, and something that all Christians should hold dear. Uh, Holy Spirit leading is certainly biblical. Mm-hmm. Um, Galatians 5 is, is a passage that may come to uh, a lot of our, our minds when Paul says, Galatians 5 and verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And he, he goes on to talk about uh, what the flesh is and, and how the flesh is opposed uh, to the Spirit. But then later on, uh, let me see. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And that's when he then goes on to talk about what the various deeds of the flesh are. And then later on in the same passage, the fruits of the Spirit is joy, I'm sorry, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he goes on. So this this idea of being led by the Spirit is, is certainly biblical, and it's always contrasted with being led by the flesh or fulfilling the, the desires of the flesh. Right. The problem that I see... And how in our society and how these things are spoken of on a on a popular level is one, they're not biblical. the The idea, and I'll use some absurd examples, but they're absurd examples that those who propose or are proponents of this are, use. Mm-hmm. So, so Joel Osteen, in some of his material, will talk about. You know, if you're worried about are you going to have a uh, uh, a parking space when you go to the restaurant, you know, pray to God, and, and since you're a child of God, He's going to lead you to that to that space. And if you're worried that it's you know Sunday lunch and you, you're going to have to wait a long time to get a table, we'll pray to God, and as a child of God, the, the Holy Spirit is going to lead that hostess to you know seat you quicker. Right. Well. That's just absurd, mm-hmm. and the complete opposite of of what the Bible is talking about. When the Spirit is leading us into holy lives, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit is is a wonderful promise that Christians have. When we read, even in, you know one of the greatest texts that that we use in talking about conversion in Acts chapter two. Those who asked Peter on that day, "What do we do?" and they were told, "You need to repent." 
and you need to be baptized and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right. And we could spend many, many uh, podcasts just talking about the Spirit and the Spirit's work and how even what Peter is talking about, just as Jesus had talked about back in John chapter 3, when he talks about how we had to be baptized by the Spirit and, the tr- and, the, and, and water, and, and what Ezekiel is talking about in Ezekiel 36, all these things tie together. But the Spirit is leading us into holy lives. It's more of the reforming of our character and making us into the image of God. Right. The idea that, you know, I I don't know what I need to do uh, for my career, or I don't need, I, you know, maybe not even something that that's uh, serious. I, I'm not sure, um, you know, which which school my kids should go to. Right. Well, right. I pray about those things. And I'm going to research and I'm going to pray to God and I'm going to, you know, hopefully make the right decision and, and, you know, seek God's help in that. But the idea that, you know, whatever decision I make is, is that the Holy Spirit led me to that decision. That's just not in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so that's my, that's the problem that I, that I have with it is that we're, we're making something that is biblical just like with biblical prophecy, we're making something that's biblical, but we're turning it into something that's not biblical. Right. And you're not even arguing against the providence of God there either, are you? No, not at all. So how how would you decide define what the providence of God is? <laughs> that's the thing. Providence of God is you don't necessarily know. Right. And and really that's kind of gets to the um, the heart of of the lesson. The problem with all this is we're, we're demonstrating a, a lack of trust in God if we always are constantly looking for and, 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 and wondering in our lives, you know, what does God want today? And what's, what's God's will for me today? And right. I think we need to just trust that if there's something that, that God wants to happen in our lives, it's going to happen in our lives. Can you sometimes look at that and come to a fairly confident conclusion that God did that? I think so. Yeah. But even then, providentially, um, that, that you just don't know. Uh, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But we trust that God provides for us, and God provides us in his own time and in his own ways. But I've just seen too many examples when people have, have come to the conclusion, oh, this is God's will, and then what they thought was God's will turned out to be a disaster. Right. Well, so are we saying that God led them into a disaster then? Uh, I I don't want to credit God with that or fault God for that. Yeah. Why do we keep on wanting to look for the fulfillments of prophecy? Because I mean, this is every every few years we we find out this is the end times, and and every few years somebody wants to make a prediction about the the end of the world. Uh, I mean, it, you and I can, have both lived through the end of the world apparently three or four times. Why do we have that need to do those kind of things? I think a lot of it is we we want to find ourselves more in the biblical story than, than maybe we are. And, and I certainly don't mean by that that we're not part of God's plan. We you know we are, and, and the Bible is written for us mm-hmm. from a certain perspective. Yes. The principles and the truths that are found in Scripture are for us, and they continue to guide us to this day. But we're also reading other people's mail. Yeah. And, you know, we we talked about, you know, Jesus 
fulfilled all kinds of prophecies. Mm-hmm. Well, those prophecies were made about him. Right. And so he can, you know, talk about the fulfillment of prophecy and knowing that he is the fulfillment of those things. But there's other prophecies in, in scripture that are made to a specific people at a specific time. Those prophecies may have some bearing on my life, but I don't need to look for their fulfillment in my time. Uh, The prophecies that we read about in Daniel, in the closing chapters of Daniel, those are all mainly all things that happen in the intertestamental period with the rise of Julius Caesar, uh, and before him, the rise of uh, Alexander the Great, and, and all these things. So these are very fascinating prophecies, but they were about a specific time period. Revelation is certainly the greatest example of that because yeah. it has so much fantastic language and such fantastic imagery. But as we pointed out in the sermon, the very first verse of the book talks about how these things must soon take place. And the book concludes with the same idea. So we're looking at something that's written to someone is written to Christians in the first century who, by the way, they had people with the gifts of prophecy and mm-hmm. the gift of interpretation. So John writes that to them. And while you and I might be reading this and saying, huh, I wonder what Gog and Magog reference. Right. Well, there may very well have been people in those churches that they read John's prophecy and they go, oh, well, this is what it is. Right. And because God revealed that to us. I, I, you and I, we don't get the benefit of that. But again, I think we like to see ourselves as more of, you know, figures in the story. And so we would like to think that, you know, these things are, are, are things that are still taking place today. And then of course, the other part is the world continues to be a scary place. Yeah. And a lot of times biblical prophecy is written in difficult times, uh, is written in, in times where God's people are suffering, they're mm-hmm. going through trial. And so these prophecies are meant to comfort them. So those prophecies still, they still carry that benefit for us. They still offer us a, a, a lesson and a message that, that's timeless. Kenny, you may have heard this um, illustration before about Revelation, uh, of how there was a, um, uh, a student in a, at a Christian college, and he's getting his uh, doctorate in biblical studies. And uh, he saw a janitor in the, in the hallway one day, and the, and the janitor's reading his Bible. And so he thought, well, I'll, you know, I'll chat up the janitor and said, hey, what are you reading? And he says, I'm reading Revelation. And the the young biblical studies uh, uh, student kind of gets that smug look. Yeah. Says, probably don't have any clue what you're what you're reading, do you? And the janitor kind of pauses and looks at him and says, I think I get the point. And the student's a little surprised, said, Really? What do you think the point is? Christ wins. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's right. So that's that's definitely the the point of revelation, but for us to presume that now we will look at whatever you know, I don't does Will Smith smacking Chris Rock in the face? You know, is that is that in Revelation too? Uh, I mean, <laughs> we could maybe throw that in there since that's you know happened in the news. Right. But we have people that are doing that, and the predictions have come, uh, you know, been proven false so many times. We just make the the these prophecies, you know, caricature. It's they're ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of the Nostradamus uh, prophecies, 
where, where people like to to say that Nostradamus knew something. It, it kind of you didn't talk about this, but it, it reminds me a lot of Gnosticism, that, that idea that there's a special knowledge that that is that is secret and most people cannot find it, and 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 those who are gifted are have have the key to this special knowledge. There's as you said, there's there's a lot of really interesting language in Revelation. Um, that's just really confusing. Is is God trying to confuse us? I don't think so. Um, however, I, I think we have to understand that the language is that way for a reason. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've heard it explained this way, and, and it seems accurate enough. Uh, why would God use this apocalyptic, and like you said, confusing language? Mm-hmm. Well, if it's written during times of duress, and just like you know, you and I could read about uh, the underground, uh, whether it be you know the the underground railroad here in the United States, or whether it be you know the underground in, in Nazi Germany as people were trying to get Jews out. Well, all this is in code. Yeah, um, you, you don't want to be found out. You don't want uh, the authorities who are persecuting you to know what you're doing, mm-hmm. and so how it's been explained to me, and, and it makes perfect sense, that if Revelation is written at a time of, of great persecution against God's people, then it's written in code. Uh, yeah. It's written in this language that someone picks it up and says, well, this isn't about the overthrow of Rome, so right. it's a weird story, but so here you go. Um, that, that So that's one reason. But again, I don't think he's trying to confuse us because he— for our benefit, there there are those you know keys that are there. Uh, once again, first verse of Revelation, things which must soon take place. He even talks about how these things were signified to mm-hmm. John, or they're shown in signs. So we're to understand from the start. No, the the sun and the moon are not literally going to turn to blood, right? But there was going to be cataclysmic worldwide events. That would kind of have that idea of oh everything's changed, but that's a sign that's that signified to us. So God is using all these things. Uh, that it's also why you know you can go and pick up a hundred commentaries on Revelation, and they're all five hundred pages long, and <laughs> it, you know it gave us the opportunity to to do a whole lot of writing. Yeah. Um, but I'll go back to my earlier point too. Uh, we were reading someone else's mail. Yeah. And so while it is definitely uh, on, on first read for us, it might be quite confusing. I don't think it was necessarily uh, quite confusing to the first century audience who who read it. No, I don't think so either. I think one of the things I think is if we were to talk about the great donkey that comes from the West and the great elephant that comes from the East, we would understand this is political language. Yep. We recognize what those symbols actually mean. I think the symbols in, in Revelation were just as as understandable to to a first century audience so i think they would have gotten it i don't think i think we're so divorced from 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 that era that that we we just don't um you well and the other thing and to that point we're not only divorced from that era we carry along so much of the baggage that has been attached to revelation for two thousand years now yeah um and you want to read some interesting interpretations of revelation you can go back to the the reformation and how Martin Luther is pretty confident that most of it's talking about the Pope. 
<laughs> and there would still be people who today who would say, yep, that's, that's exactly right. The, the, the Pope is exactly who John was talking about in 90 AD, even though there was no Pope for hundreds of years. But yeah. Yeah, that's exactly who he's talking about, <laughs> just like uh, red Chinese and Russians. Um, that's definitely what the first century Christians needed to learn about uh, there in 90 AD. Um, so again, there's just so much baggage that's been attached to Revelation over the years that it makes it harder today to kind of sift through that and then get to the kernel of truth that's there. Yeah, you ended up by landing on this the, the importance of of uh, being righteous and righteousness. What do you mean by that? I mean, no, one of the things that that I think you recognize immediately: no one's blameless, um, even though that righteousness is our goal. Uh, and are we negating grace here? Is that what you're meaning? Are you trying to get no. rid of grace now, Josh? No, <laughs> no, not at all. Um, <laughs> when I talk about righteousness on Sunday, I am meaning righteousness as a characteristic of God, and as a characteristic of God is therefore a characteristic that God wants for his people. Mm-hmm. And the context of this lesson, all I meant was, that's what we should be worried about and concerned about. Yeah. And I'll take us back to Revelation. Revelation, of course, we know has all these you know fantastic signs and images and, and and difficult language. But Revelation begins with Jesus addressing these seven churches, and let me tell you what he does not do in any of those letters to the seven churches. He does not say, "Now I'm about to give you a whole lot of signs, and you need to be really worried about this. <laughs> this is what you need to think about right. every day. This is what you need to dwell on every day. Mm-hmm. Is when is this dragon?" with all these heads and all these crowns going to come up. This is what I want you to focus on, be concerned about. That's not what he says. He Mm -hmm. says to each and every church, here's what you're doing well. Here are the areas where you need to improve. Right. And you need to improve because I'm coming. Yeah. Yeah. So focus on righteousness. That's that's what you need to to be concerned with. Yeah. And, And that's what today... As yes, concerning times, uh, and and we might find some comfort in, in the prophecies and in the overall message of the prophecy that Christ wins. But what He wants us to do is, all right, today, how can I act more like God? Today, how can I love more like God? Today, how can I be holy like God? All this is merited by or uh, uh, based on God's grace. It's not divorced from that at all. But he's saying, that's what I want you to focus on. Yeah. Don't worry about when's the end of the world coming and, and you know what are what are the, the events that are going to happen up right up until that time. You just focus on holiness. You focus on the character of God. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember if you used this passage. I feel like you almost had to because in, in 2 Peter 3, where he talks about everything's going to be dissolved, everything is going to and, and, and his question is, what, what kind of person ought you to be? Yeah. I mean, the world's going to be going away, but but don't worry about that. Focus on what you can control, which is your character. What kind of person ought you to be to be in a right relationship with God? Does that make sense? Yes, and I I had that in my notes. I chose on Sunday just to use the First um, uh, Thessalonians five passage because it's making the same point. But you're absolutely right. And so yet again, another one of these passages where the end of the world was being talked about. Uh, and the world being dissolved by fire, and yet how um, how does Peter wrap it up? Verse 11 of chapter 3, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct 
and godliness. Yeah. In other words, don't worry about when's the end coming. You know, it feels a lot of hot outside today. Maybe, <laughs> you know, no, don't worry about that. Right. You focus on godliness and holy conduct. Yeah, that's exactly right. So let me end it where we always ended. How does this idea of focusing on righteousness and focusing on what we ought to be doing help us with God's upward call? I think it gives you that daily marker. You know, again, we get caught up in, in prophecy and leading and all these things because we are thinking about the future. We are thinking about, oh, this could be a sign or this is you know pointing me in a certain direction. Whereas thinking in righteousness, is it, it centers you on today. This is the day you have. Right. Uh, the end of the world could come today. It could come tomorrow. The end of my life could come today or tomorrow. Mm. But what I can focus on is today. And it's the righteousness that God has called me to. And so if I'm making it that my focus today, and then I make that my focus tomorrow and the next day and on, I have that daily marker, that daily, uh, even you might say anchor to, to God's will. And if that's the focus, then guess what? I am, I am proceeding in the upward call. And if I'm proceeding in the upward call, whenever the end comes, I'm ready for it. Yeah. It reminds me of Matthew 6, where God, where Jesus says, don't worry about the tomorrow. Just worry about today. Worry about what, what's right in front of you. Uh, the, tomorrow will take care of itself. So Yeah, you know, I did a, um, and this is, you know what, we may have ventured on, on territory here that I did um, pretty early in my time at university, so so maybe it's t- it's time for a repeat. But I <laughs> don't listen to this, uh, university people. I'm going to be criticized. Um, but Second Peter chapter one is one of my favorite chapters to preach through because I think it makes this just wonderful idea of he talks about obtaining the promises of God. And becoming part of the divine nature, and like that—that that sounds like this just awesome concept that that none of us are ever going to be able to to achieve. How do you become partaker of the divine nature? But then he just begins to list off some things that are all part of the divine nature. So he talks about our faith and our our moral excellence and our knowledge and our self control and godliness and, and brotherly kindness and love. And so he kind of boils it all down to these somewhat simpler concepts. They're all difficult in their own right, but, mm-hmm. you know, I want to be a partaker of the divine nature. Well, well can I love more? Well, I can, I can do that. But then how he wraps it up, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ— And then he goes on to say in verse 11, in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Now, so if I say to a a Christian, you want to be confident and know and not have to say, I hope I I can go to heaven. You want to know heaven's yours. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you walk in faith? Can, Can you make good moral choices? Can you be, you know, godly? Can you control yourself? Can you can you love your brother? Can you love your enemy? And if we're working and growing in all those things, guess what? I can know not only that the interest to heaven is supplied, but as the text says, it is abundantly supplied. Right, right. 
I I love that. Coming to a sermon series near you. <laughs> well, speaking of which, are you going to be speaking next time? I am. We're back to our um, our theme uh, this coming uh, Lord's Day, so we will be talking about. And you know, I kind of thought this, you know, this sermon probably has a little bit of tie. This this last sermon had a little bit of tie to that idea of the remnant, but we're going to go yeah. back a little bit uh, more focused on our status as God's remnant this Sunday. All right. Well, that sounds good. Well, I look forward to hearing that, man. Thanks, Kenny. Enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, man. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to get to know us more, you're welcome to watch a live stream service or join us in person at the University Church of Christ in Tampa, Florida. We have all of our information at universitychurchofchrist.org. Until next time, God bless you in your walk with God.